Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of American Scammers. Today we're exploring the life of the most infamous imposter of all time. Most teenagers in today's world egg houses, open car doors, and make prank videos on TikTok. But when Frank Abagnale was in his adolescence, he committed fraud, forged checks, tricked people with different identities, and his schemes were so sophisticated he later went on to work for the FBI. Join us today in learning about the American scammer, Frank Abagnale Jr. What would you do if you found out the pilot of a plane you were on was an imposter? What would you do if you went to the doctor and the guy holding the clipboard never went to med school? Well, this was the reality for many people that were living in the 60s and crossed paths with the man we're discussing today. Frank Abagnale was born April 27, 1948. He is one of four children and spent the first 16 years of his life in New Rochelle, New York. His mother was French and his father was an influential local who was plugged into the politics and theater scene in New York. His father was quite the role model to Frank Jr. and the divorce that took place between his parents hit him hard. Frank Jr. began the con life by conning his own father. Frank Jr. devised a scheme when he was 15 to use the gasoline card his father gave him to buy other car-related items at a gas station, and then he would sell the products back to the gas station attendants that could give him cash. This put his father in a tough spot as he was billed $3,400 for his son's sneaky schemes. The tricks continued and his confidence grew. Frank Jr. started writing personal checks that were overdrawn from his personal account. Once the first bank busted him and demanded payment, Frank decided to open more accounts at different banks using different identities. Over time, through experimentation, he developed different ways of defrauding banks, such as printing out his own almost perfect copies of checks like payroll checks, depositing them, and encouraging banks to advance him cash on the basis of his account balances. Another trick he used was to magnetically print his account number on blank deposit slips and add them to the stack of real bank slips in the bank. This meant that the deposits written on those slips by bank customers entered his account rather than the accounts of the legitimate customers. The movie that's based on his life showed an extensive amount of his schemes, but they also left a lot of them out. In a speech, Abagnale described an occasion where he noticed that the location where airlines and car rental businesses, imagine a United Airlines and Hertz, would drop off their daily collections of money in a zip-up bag and then deposit them into a box at the airport premises. Using a security guard disguise that he bought at a local costume shop, he put a sign over the box saying, Out of service, place deposits with the security guard on duty, and collected money in that manner. Later, he disclosed how he could not believe that this idea had actually worked, stating with some astonishment, How can a drop box be out of service? People only know what you tell them, is a line that sticks out in the movie. And Frank Jr. was a living testimony of that truth for six years. Abagnale decided that 
Security Dropbox money was a bit risky, and he decided to take it up a notch. Frank began to impersonate pilots because he wanted to fly throughout the world for free. He acquired a uniform by calling Pan Am American Airways, telling the company that he was a pilot working for them, who had lost his uniform while getting it clean at his hotel and obtaining a new one with the fake employee ID. He then forged the Federal Aviation Administration pilot's license. Pan Am estimated that between the ages of 16 and 18, Abagnale flew more than 1 million miles on more than 250 flights and flew to 26 countries by deadheading. Deadheading is the practice of carrying, free of charge, a transport company's own staff on a normal passenger trip so that they can all be in the right place to begin their duties. As a con man company pilot, he was able to stay at hotels for free during this time. Everything from food to lodging was billed to the airline company. Abagnale stated that he was often invited by actual pilots to take the controls of the plane in flight. On one occasion, he was offered the courtesy of flying at 30,000 feet. He took the controls and enabled the autopilot right away. He stated, I had been handed custody of 140 lives, my own included, because I couldn't fly a kite. It's safe to say we are grateful he was just responsible for deadheading. For 11 months, Abagnale impersonated a chief resident pediatrician in a Georgia hospital under the alias Frank Williams. He chose this course after he was nearly arrested disembarking a flight in New Orleans. Afraid of possible capture, he retired temporarily to Georgia. When filling out a rental application, he impulsively listed his occupation as doctor, fearing that the owner might check with Pan Am if he wrote pilot. After befriending a real doctor who lived in the same apartment complex, he agreed to act as a supervisor of resident interns as a favor until the local hospital could find someone else to take the job. The position was not difficult for Abignell because supervisors did not know real medical work. However, he was nearly exposed when an infant almost died from oxygen deprivation. He had no idea what a nurse meant when she said there was a blue baby. He was able to fake his way through most of his duties. He let the interns handle the cases coming in during his late night shift, setting broken bones and other mundane tasks. He left the hospital only after he realized that he could put lives at risk by his inability to respond to life and death situations. Seeing blue babies would make any man hang up the fake lab coat. Abagnale was struggling to find and keep a job. He decided to get back into forging, and this time it was at a Harvard University law transcript. He prepared himself for the compulsory exam. Despite failing twice, he claims to have passed the bar exam legitimately on the third try after eight weeks of study. Because as he said in his biography, Louisiana at the time allowed you to take the bar over and over as many times as you needed. It was really a matter of eliminating what you got wrong. In his biography, he described the premise of his legal job as a gopher boy who simply fetched coffee and books for his boss. However, a real Harvard graduate also worked for the attorney general and he hounded Abagnale with questions about his tenure at Harvard. 
Naturally, Abagnale could not answer questions about a university he never attended. Eight months later, he resigned after learning that the man was making inquiries into his background. The best part of being a kind man must be the rest you get from getting away with something so crazy. The worst part has to be the constant fear of getting busted. This is exactly what happened with Abagnale. The clock was ticking. And it was only a matter of time before the gig was to be up. Abagnale was eventually arrested in Montpellier, France in 1969 when an Air France attendant he had previously dated recognized him and informed the police. When the French policeman arrested him, 12 countries in which he had committed fraud sought his extradition. After a two-day trial, he served time in Perpignan's prison, a one-year sentence that the presiding judge at his trial reduced to six months. At Perpignan, he was held nude in a tiny, filthy, lightless cell that he was never allowed to leave. The cell lacked toilet facilities, a mattress, or a blanket, and food and water were strictly limited. He was then extradited to Sweden, where he was treated more humanely under Swedish law. During trial for forgery, his defense attorney almost had his case dismissed by arguing that he had created the fake checks and not forged them, but his charges were instead reduced to swindling and fraud. Following another conviction, he served six months in Malmo prison, only to learn that at the end of it, he would be tried next in Italy. Later, a Swedish judge asked a U.S. State Department official to revoke his passport. Without a valid passport, the Swedish authorities were legally compelled to deport him to the United States, where he was sentenced to 12 years in the federal prison for multiple counts of forgery. He did more time in prison than the wolf on Wall Street. Frank Jr. was not only good at scamming, he was also good at escaping. On more than one occasion, he escaped authorities while he was being deported. He escaped from a VC-10 airliner as it was turning into a taxiway at a JFK International Airport. He went to the Bronx to change clothes and even made his way to the Montreal bank safe deposit box to get $20,000 out. He hopped on a train to Montreal and purchased a ticket to Brazil and while in line was approached by police and handed over to the U.S. Border Patrol. While in prison, he found even more ways to scheme. In a stroke of luck, that included the accompanying U.S. Marshal for getting his detention commitment papers, Abagnale was mistaken for an undercover prison inspector and was given the privileges and food far better than the other inmates. The Federal Department of Corrections in Atlanta had already lost two employees as a result of the reports written by the undercover federal agents, and Abagnale took advantage of their vulnerability. He contacted a friend who posed as his fiancée, and she slipped him the business card of Inspector C.W. Dunlap of the Bureau of Prisons, which she had obtained by posing as a freelance writer doing an article on fire safety measures in federal detention centers. She also handed over a business card from Sean O'Reilly, the FBI agent in charge of Abagnale's case, which she doctored at a stationary print shop. Abagnale told the corrections officer that he was indeed a prison inspector and handed over Dunlap's business card as proof. 
He told them that he needed to contact the FBI agent Sean O'Reilly on a matter of urgent business. O'Reilly's fake number was dialed and picked up by Abagnale's lady accomplice at a payphone in an Atlanta shopping mall, posing as an operator at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Frank was allowed to meet unsupervised with O'Reilly in a predetermined car outside the detention center. His lady friend was dressed up incognito and picked Abingdale up and drove him to an Atlanta bus station where he took a Greyhound bus to New York and soon thereafter a train to Washington DC. Abingdale then bluffed his way through an attempted capture by posing as an FBI agent after being recognized by a motel registration clerk. Still intent on making his way to Brazil, Abingdale was picked up a few weeks later by two NYPD detectives when he inadvertently walked past their unmarked police car. It's bizarre so many people knew what he looked like, but that's the power of television in a time period where there were only six channels. In 1974, after he served less than five years of his 12-year sentence at a federal correction institution in Petersburg, Virginia, the United States federal government released him on the condition that he would help the federal authorities without pay to investigate crimes committed by fraud and scam artists and sign in once a week. Unwilling to return to his family in New York, he left the choice of parole up to the court and it was decided that he would be paroled in Texas. After his release, Abagnale tried numerous jobs, including cook, grocer, and movie projectionist, but he was fired from most of these after it was discovered that he had been hired without revealing his criminal past. Finding these jobs unsatisfied, he approached the bank with an offer. He explained to the bank what he had done and offered to speak to the bank staff and show them the various tricks that paper changers use to defraud banks. His offer included the condition that if they did not find his speech helpful, they would owe him nothing. Otherwise, they would owe him only $500 with an agreement that they would provide his name to other banks. With that, he began a legitimate life as a security consultant. He later founded Abagnale & Associates based in Tulsa, Oklahoma which advises companies on fraud issues. Abagnale also continues to advise the FBI with whom he was associated with for over 40 years by teaching at the FBI Academy and lecturing the FBI field offices throughout the country. According to his website, more than 14,000 institutions have adopted the Abagnale's fraud prevention programs. Despite years of adrenaline, money, and excitement, Abigail now lives peacefully in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife, whom he met while working undercover for the FBI. They have three sons, and their oldest son, Scott, works for the FBI now too. Frank continues to be the voice of security. We hope you enjoy learning about Frank Abagnale Jr. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoy learning about the con artist Frank Abagnale Jr., Please share this with a friend or two. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe and check out our other episodes. We'll see you next time on American Scammers.